guys. Welcome to another episode of Sauce of the Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff Wright here with you this week. Uh, Jeff, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm doing really good, Derek. I, for any of our listeners who are in Texas, I have been all up and down the uh, eastern side of your state in the last two weeks. So I've done did you know one trip that was 24 hours in a car, did another one that was 38 in the car. I uh, I love Texas, but uh, that that was too much driving through it. I, I will tell you this, Derek. I ate the best barbecue of my life at a place called 1050. Uh, 1050 barbecue outside of Dallas. Best brisket I've ever had. That alone made the trip worth it. But nonetheless, yeah, it was incredible, man. If any of our listeners are in Dallas, I'd love to know if that ranks on your list of best restaurants in the area because for me, it was incredible. Um, Anyway, so despite having good barbecue and seeing lots of a a cool part of the world, I'm I'm glad to be home and out of a vehicle specifically. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. Good. Just uh, I feel like all my days are running together. Okay. Uh, there's only only so much that can happen when riding a horse or riding a chicken for a living. So, <laughs> fair enough. But things are good, man. Yeah, things are good. Uh, this week we are going to be talking about the taking Deborah Logan, as voted on by you, our loyal listeners, and thank you so much for that. Uh, speaking of, if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor: go on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, what have you. Uh, give us some five star reviews. Make sure and. Uh, Give us a great review if you're enjoying the show. If you're not, I'll just blame myself and Jeff can get in the post. Whatever that needs to work out. But uh, if you're enjoying everything, make sure to give us a uh, give us a rating there. Also, we have a new group that's uh, called We Saw Something Scary. We would love to have you be a part. Uh, that thing grows rapidly. Uh, I'll be honest with you, man. It's a lot bigger than I expected it to be. Yeah, it's a pleasant surprise for me on that front, too. And Yeah, absolutely. And so I've really been enjoying uh, been enjoying watching it grow, but I've also enjoyed interacting with everyone. Um, even though I think we got into a whole situation uh, <laughs> a couple days ago, which I thought was pretty funny. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so we saw something scary. It's the Facebook group, and we would love to have you be a part of that. So I think that's enough shameless promotion at, right at the top. Well, Let's get into everyone's favorite part of the show. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I, I think if our listeners like this show, and I'm assuming by the downloads they do, they're going to enjoy the the Facebook group. So, shameless promotion. I just see it as an act of service, Derek. Oh, well, thank you. That's that's very kind of you to, to make me feel better about our shameless promotion <laughs> at the beginning of the show. So, all right. With that being said, let's get into everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. All right, homie. I've got, I've got three trailers that I know you and I haven't talked about. Off, uh, off air or on air, but I also have one that you and I have talked about off air <clears throat> that I don't believe we've discussed on air, and it's actually one that, if I'm not mistaken, you and I are both fairly curious in. So I will, I will leave that one for uh, last. Okay. The first one, right out the gate, is um, we called "Welcome to Marwin." Uh, totally unfamiliar. And, uh, okay, um, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who did Forrest Gump, and I'm also, I'm pretty sure he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That which, sounds right. Yeah, um, which also just had its 30th anniversary. If you can do that, I'm just double checking. But that's right. No, I guess he didn't do. He wrote Back to the Future. Uh, he's got his hand in Castaway as well. Flight, Polar Express. Yeah, that guy's made made some good stuff. There's a there's a movie my kids love called uh, I think it's called Haunted House, Scary House, something like that. It's sort of this uh, digital animation thing, and it's Monster the House. Monster House. There it is. I think he's got his hand in that too, and I think that movie's kind of legitimately scary for like. You know, being a kid's movie. Yeah, for, for a kid's movie, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so what's he 
doing with? I guess he was also a producer on. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, he, uh, no, you're fine. He was also a producer on Gothica. Which, uh, I don't know if any of our listeners have uh, watched Gothica, but it's uh, it was a pretty decent, scary movie. Yeah, I feel the same way. Kind of uh, underrated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, Welcome to Morrowind is uh, a movie. Uh, the synopsis is this, a victim of a brutal attack finds a unique and beautiful therapeutic outlet to help him through his recovery process. And if you, you read that synopsis and you go, holy smokes, that sounds incredibly boring. I watched the trailer for that a couple days ago, and I think this could be Steve Carell's Oscar. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it stars the uh, the aforementioned Steve Carell, Leslie Mann, Ian Kruger, and uh, Matt O'Leary. So that comes out November 21st of this year. So you'll uh, we've got some time to wait on it. But yeah, man, I think that it's it's the right kind of I don't know. It's just it feels like it's the right kind of movie for somebody to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna give Steve Carell the off. And just in the trailer, it looks like he does an amazing job. Well, Little Miss Sunshine convinced me that anything Steve Carell does, either you know comedy already he understood but anything he does in a more serious vein i mean i shouldn't say serious i know comedy serious but in a maybe more dramatic vein how about that um i, I need to check it out because that guy's super talented i mean i'm not saying anything anybody doesn't already know but anyway he's got immense credibility with me and yeah he's probably enough to draw me out to the theater regardless yeah, it's it's amazing to me the trajectory that Steve Carell, Steve Carell's career has taken. Uh, you know, from the guy in the Forty Year Old Virgin and Anchorman, uh, and then in the Office for what eight seasons, seven seasons, somewhere through there, and then um, you know, and then finding really a, a career as a you know he's he hasn't really done much comedy stuff mm-hmm. uh, as of late, as opposed to these big like Oscar movies. You know, I think of Foxcatcher, think of the what the Big Short, wasn't that the uh, or that doesn't sound. No, that, that's right. That was the financial crisis movie. That came out of, yeah, was that it was that big short? Yeah, yeah, really, really well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's cool to see you know him having a, uh, a crazy I don't know not crazy is not the right word but just a, a diverse career mm-hmm. after The Office because you know he'll probably always be remembered as Michael Scott but he's also just he's done some great stuff but then of course he also did the incredible Burt Wonderstone which was a piece of garbage but that's beside the point. Oh, that was the the magician movie, right? I had completely forgotten about that. Uh, Jim Carrey's yeah. in that too, right? It's it's he is. It's not a piece of garbage, but it's it's not it's not his best. Yeah, huh. totally forgotten about that one. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> go back and uh, you know you can go back and rewatch that if you want. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, I think my my calendar's full. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can fit that one in. <laughs> Hey, just a note to our listeners. It is thundering and storming something crazy behind me. Uh, I don't know how to mute it out because apparently God's angry enough to make it shake the whole building. Um, just FYI, if you're hearing that coming through. Yeah, we had uh, we had some pretty bad storms here in Missouri yesterday. Yeah, I imagine that. I guess that's considered Midwest, right? The storms out there are supposed to be no joke. Yeah, and, and they just they just happen. Like the sky could be beautiful and sunny one, and then the next minute you're like, "Oh, is that hail? Oh, that's hail. That's great." Oh, that's terrible. That'll, that hail leaves lasting impressions, but it uh, that costs you a lot of money on your resale value on your car. So. I'm not a fan. Yeah, uh, neither am I. Luckily, uh, knock on wood, uh, nothing, nothing too bad happened to my career yesterday. So we're good. Gonna... Yeah, good deal. Uh, but enough about the weather. Let's get <laughs> these movies right. Saw something stormy. <laughs> That's gonna be our our uh, breakout weather podcast. I'm pretty sure we could own that so, segment. Um, I'm gonna quit talking about it now. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, we we definitely could own that for sure. Um, if you want to start making that happen, we can. <laughs> Jeff hates Dobblers. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, 
then the next one I've got for you is called the in a terrifying post post pop. Oh wow, it's early. In a terrifying post apocalyptic world inhabited by gangs split into deadly factions, a husband and wife race desperately into the countryside in search of safety and must work together as they are pushed to the breaking point in order to survive. Kate Bosworth stars in this movie. Um, it is uh, the genres on this are horror and thriller, and it looks okay. Uh, I'm not completely sold on it, but it does it does release this weekend. So actually tomorrow. So okay. there you go. Hey, throw that name at me one more time. I missed it. What was it called? Uh, the domestics. The domestics. Am I hearing you right? Yes, the domestics. Okay. Well, I'm I'm deeply frustrated that I'm not getting royalties off of this movie because that's clearly the exact scenario that led me to live out in Walling, Tennessee, and yet <laughs> I've got no payment. Yeah. You, you interested yeah. in it? You mean you've seen the trailer? Coming for you. So, I mean to step on you there. What were you saying? No, you're fine. Uh, just uh, the writer director of this movie. His name was Mike P. Nelson. Mm. So I said, Mike P. Nelson, where come you? He's taking money out of my kid's mouth, man. That's right. Uh, you got kids. Yep. So are you going to watch this movie? That's That sounds to me like a red boxer at best. But, I mean, you saw the trailer. What do you think? Yeah. I was, no. Um, I'll watch it. I'll watch it on the off chance that I need to scratch my horror itch when it comes to Netflix or Redbox. Okay. okay. Uh, but I won't, I'm not going to pay money to watch that. Well, based on your description, well, I think we're synced up pretty well paying, on that. I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not going to pay movie theater money to watch it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You throw Redbox dollar seventy five. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. That that doesn't seem like a as big of an investment. Hey man, I'll tell you this. I watched Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom the other day, uh, Monday. You know what I did? I watched it yesterday. And what you? Well, uh, saw something scary. Loyal listener, contributor, and all around good guy Jody Webster was in there celebrating uh, one of his children's birthday as well. So I ended up seeing it. At the same time he did. We didn't sit together or anything, but it was good to lay eyes on Jody. Been a while since I've seen him in person. Yeah. What'd you think about it? Man, I love Jurassic Park, you know, that franchise. I, I don't know if it's nostalgia that, like, causes me to see everything they do is awesome, but I really enjoyed that. I kept reading this was a darker Jurassic Park. It, it, it strikes me as that that's true. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, I love that franchise and I feel like I'll be there every time they release a new one. I'm, I'm certainly locked into, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but the, the world that is set up in the after credit scene, dude, sign me up. Uh, I want to, I want to watch that movie. I want to read that book and I want to play that video game. So I'm there. Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it because I didn't enjoy the uh, the one before this Jurassic World. Uh, it, my uh, I'm too high for it, and so I, I came out of it going, man, that uh, that was a little disappointing. So I think that my expectations were just right in this one, and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, good. Yeah, it's always nice uh, to to not feel like you've thrown your money and time away when you go into a theater. I I'm there, man. I love them. And you know, Jurassic World was a first day Blu-ray purchase for me. I, I, I just really am into that franchise. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I got to watch it in IMAX, so I think that, uh, that probably helped. Yeah, for sure. That sounds awesome. I, however, got to watch it AMC and it was not awesome. <laughs> Is the Cookville AMC still giving you problems, Jeff? I mean, without end. Every time I watch a movie there, I'm just like, I'm looking for my remote to turn up the brightness on the screen. I think I mentioned this, uh, a buddy of mine and I went to Knoxville to watch Heredity. 
Heredity. What the heck is that? Hereditary. Heredity. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, movie. It's one of those like you know movies that uh, they come out and try to steal the buzz off a bigger known film. Anyway, I went and watched Hereditary and Ocean's Eight at the same time at a, at a Regal Cinema in Turkey Creek outside of Knoxville, and it was like beautiful and perfect and bright and everything AMC is not. And it just it is so frustrating to have to go back over to that hole. I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. I know the management over there. They were managing that theater before AMC got it, and so it, I'm assuming the downtick is not a responsibility of is not the responsibility of the people so much as the policies of AMC and dude AMC just sucks all around uh yeah I thankfully don't have to deal with AMC out here in Missouri and it's been probably the biggest blessing since I've uh since I moved here mm-hmm. uh, maybe someday Cook will get big enough to get a competitor in here it'd be nice if they, if it did yeah, sure. I, so, I hope that happens for you guys because we need it. Um, I guess we should probably put a bow on Saw Something Dimly as well. <laughs> I, I like our uh, Saw Something Rabbit Trail that we're doing today. For sure, for sure. Okay, so the domestics, and then finally, uh, and, and I think this one we're both all in on, or I, at least I know that I am. I, I won't speak for you. Uh, the first full trailer for The Predator came out yesterday. Dude, absolutely. And it looks like it's going to be so much fun. Dude, sign me up, man. I, did you like Alien vs. Predator back in the day? Uh, yeah. I mean, it won't win awards, but I sat there going, ooh, the whole time. <laughs> well done. That's exactly my experience. I mean, you, you know. <laughs> you did the, the giggle better, but that's exactly how I approach that movie. And yeah, they can do whatever they want with the predator, and I'm going to show up for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and this one looks a lot of fun. Uh, I think we've I think we've discussed this movie before on on the show, but Shane Black is the director on this movie. I think he may have also had something to do with writing it. Um, he and, yeah, actually, he and Fred Decker are the two people that wrote the screenplay. Um, and I'm a huge Shane Black did Iron Man 3. He did The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling, which should have which should have gotten a lot more love than it did. He directed um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, wrote and direct Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He was responsible for the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, and he was also actually in Predator as an actor. So, uh, homeboy is one of the best and really looking forward to this and also uh, shout out to Chattanooga Tennessee that gets a uh, cameo in this movie so oh, sweet yeah uh, I thought that was pretty cool as well that resume sounds like exactly what you would you know if you were going to build a director for a predator movie in a lab and give him the precise like background you would want. That sounds perfect. Like when you said lethal weapon, I yeah. just started thinking about big explosions and stuff like that. Like what Michael Bay wants to be but can't quite get to, you know? Uh, I cannot yeah, wait for this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 going to be real. I mean, I, you know, we've talked about this before. Movies that are released in September usually aren't the best. That's usually when movie studios and stuff are like, ah, this isn't a great movie, but we're going to put it there. Uh, you know, the summer blockbusters are over, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I've got I've got high hopes for this movie, man. It's got a star-studded cast. Iman, uh, Jacob Tremblay, Thomas James, Sterling K. Brown, uh, Ke- Keegan-Michael Key, Jake Busey. Uh, although Jake Busey's one of these things is not like the other when you talk about the other uh, people. How dare you besmirch the good gosh darn name of Jake Busey. There it is. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm just, I'm looking forward to it and in the trailer today. I got that same. 
uh, kind of feeling about it. So it, it may get panned by critics, but I'm, I'm going to go watch it. I'll probably try to go watch it at our IMAX theater here in town. I'll probably giggle like a schoolgirl. So yeah. take my money. I'm, I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. That is That movie, in fact, is right. getting my uh, – sorry. Uh, I think we're having a little lag here on the connection. Oh, no, no. no. Um, yeah, you're fine. That movie is getting my full avoid all news treatment, which I reserve for like yeah. you know the, the films I like the most. I was getting ready for The Horror Reporter. And Bloody Disgusting, or one of those websites said, hey, we've got this cool theory for Predator. And I was reading it on Feedly, and I was like, just clear? Get that out of my face. I don't want to say anything about this. So bring it on, Predator. Yeah, well, you uh, thankfully, man, you don't have too much longer to wait. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll be here before you know it. Predator yeah. uh, comes out in theaters on September the 14th. Pretty good post-birthday present, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, maybe, you know what, maybe I can maybe I can try to go watch that together. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I, I make no promises, but uh, sure. we'll see what I can do. I got you. Don't and tease me like that, Jerry. Finally, the last movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. I, uh, I will do everything that I can. Uh, the, the last movie that I had to talk to you about was uh, a movie that got on my radar when I went to watch uh, Hereditary, her, or Heredity, whichever one you want to call it. We'll go with Hereditary. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a movie called Searching. And uh, like I said, I, I don't believe that we've talked about this on the podcast. I know that you had talked about it after we, after I saw Hereditary for the first time. But uh, for those of you that know nothing about it, let me just throw this at you real quick. The plot for it is this. After David Kim, after David Kim's 16-year-old daughter goes missing, a local investigation is open, and the detective is assigned to the case. But 37 hours later, without a single lead, David decides to search the one place no one has looked yet, where all the secrets are kept today, on his daughter's laptop. In a hypermodern thriller uh, told via the technology devices we use every day to communicate, David must trace his daughter's digital footprints before she disappears forever. And uh, Deborah Messing stars. Uh, in this movie, I'm, I'm very optimistic about this movie. It comes out on August the third, and I, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I'm with you. When you first mentioned the name again, uh, it had slipped my mind what movie we're talking about. But what what is that actor's name again? The guy playing the dad, John Cho. I really like John Cho, and that yeah. that trailer did look great. Um, it looked like, you know, we've talked about on here, like there's movies trying to play with the, the dangers of the digital age, like unfriended and uh, friend request or whatever those movies were called. This one looks like it may be the one that actually captures the, you know, the, the horror bound up in connecting with strangers across digital communication lines that may put you in jeopardy. And it also has sort of those over, tones of like how scary it is, how much data and uh, how much data is available about us and how easy it is to access for people that we may not have authorized to do so. Mm -hmm. But um, let me ask you something. Are you familiar with, it's a real life story about a a young woman by the name of Elisa Lamb. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Uh, No, I don't think that I am. Okay. So let me just give you the broad strokes. You've really got to do a Google and Wikipedia deep dive on this. Um, Elisa Lam is um, the English name of this Cantonese young lady who was a Canadian student who came to Los Angeles and disappeared in the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles in 2013. I'm assuming some of our listeners are um, you know interested in the same way that I am of like real life mysteries and whatnot. Uh, if you're not, you've got to Google that. There are there's vid- video footage attached to her disappearance. That's some of the creepiest stuff I've seen. And while I do think there are natural world explanations for what happens to her, it's one of the craziest disappearances I've ever read about. And sadly, we know how it, how it ended. Her body was discovered 
but even the way and place where her body was discovered seems entirely improbable. And so, um, not to turn her into a story, but or at least not to turn her tragedy into a story. But I do think um, it's it's worth giving a read and a watch. And I'm betting that it it has some connection to this movie. I'm I'm guessing the people who created it are familiar with her story because it just sounds it just sounds similar enough to me. So anyway, uh, Elisa Lamb, I think wow. if you put that in Google, you'll find it pretty quick. Make sure you watch the surveillance video. Okay. Elisa Lamb. I'm uh, I'm gonna open up a tab right now and put that in so I can look at it later. Yeah, L A M, not L A M B Really tragic story. Beautiful young lady. Uh, couldn't have went worse for her, but an incredible story. And like I said, I bet it has connections to this movie. Huh, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Already. Yeah. I'm very interested in that. So. Yeah. Is this a is this a opening weekend movie for you, Jeff? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't know how far out our calendar is yet, but I think that the week after August third, so the August what sixth, uh, whatever day we record that falls on, I think that will be. Uh, uh, that'll be searching week. Okay, sounds good to me. Cool, man. And like I said, uh, searching comes out in theaters on August the third. So make sure and go see that, uh, and definitely go see it before you listen to our review of it because you don't want spoilers and stuff. For sure. So, all right, man. That's gonna do it for this week's episode. Of Jeff hates trailers. All right. Well, let's move into this week's horror. And some of this is going to be kind of rapid fire. I've got something I want to throw at you at the very end, and that may take a little bit longer. We've already discussed this in the Facebook group, but we got news that Bloomhouse is willing to make Get Out 2 if Jordan Peele returns, which, by the way, duh. At this point, if Jordan Peele wants to do something, I think he's going to get it done, right? But um, Derek, how does that news strike you? Again, if you're in the Facebook, you probably have a sense of how Derek thinks about this. But for our listeners, how does that news strike you? I'm assuming that you see this as just kind of a perfect piece in and of itself and no need to revisit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm with you uh, entirely. That movie was great. It was perfectly self-contained. It ended, you know, I'm so thankful he went with the ending he did rather than that alternative ending. Let's just leave that masterpiece on the shelf and get Peel working on other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I I hope that, uh, I hope that Peel feels the same way. You know, I hope that they don't try to like back up a Brinks truck to his house and and be like, come on, Jordan, you know you want to do it. And be like, oh, okay, that's fine. Let's do it. I just, uh, I really hope that that's that's not the case. Yeah, now I think both of us would say we're we're interested in Jordan Peele making all the money in the world. We think good art, um, when it is commercially viable, should be rewarded with commercial success. Um, that's not the only criteria for art, but you know, in the happy times when good art turns into good profits, more power to them. But uh, I'm with you. Like get back out would be the most depressing thing to see on my you know local cinema marquee. Yeah, I, I, the only way that I would want to see it get out to is if it were a prequel that went into the backstory of the Coagula. Mm, yeah, well, uh, yeah, and as long as they don't mess up, you know, some some of the dangers of prequels is that they screw with what you liked about the first one, and I'm I'm assuming Peel, Peel can pull that off. 
But yeah, I mean, a prequel sure. would be, I guess, the more tolerable version of that than a than a sequel. Yeah, uh, that and and even then, I would be like, no, I, I mean, in a perfect world, you just leave that, you know, that's that's a self-contained story, just leave it be. Um, but but yeah, that that would be the only way that I would be remote interested in in seeing this again. So really hope that this doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. As crazy as that sounds, and as much as I. I enjoyed the first one. Uh, One other piece of news that connects to stuff we've talked about before. In our continuing documenting of the Stephen King renaissance, uh, his boogeyman is going to be adapted by the writers of A Quiet Place. So this comes from Deadline, Mike Fleming. Uh, Let me give you the spiel here. 20th Century Fox is finalizing a deal for the boogeyman, a pitch package for a horror film that teams iconic Stephen King's short story with Scott Beck and Brian Woods describes behind the genre hit A Quiet place. Um, Sean Levy, Dan Levine, and Dan Cohen are producing. King's short story was first published in 1973, later released as part of his 1978 Night Shift collection. The Boogeyman follows a man who recently lost all his children to a creature lurking in the closet. Straightforward horror there, right? Uh, It becomes the latest King fiction to get an option for film or TV treatment. Um, This is what I thought was interesting about this. The Boogeyman has been a favorite of short filmmakers and has been adapted into shorts seven times in what King calls dollar baby deals, which are non-commercial and non-exclusive rights options that allow emerging filmmakers access to material they could never afford if they were paying retail. So the Fox and 21 Labs deal will be the first studio feature adaptation of the short story. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea about that sort of what he calls dollar baby deals that you know a young filmmaker can say, look, we're not going to make money off this and um, somebody else can have it too, but would you let me adapt your material? I kind of find that minutia of Hollywood really interesting, but the fact that it's been mm-hmm. done seven times makes me think there must be a lot of good in that story. I've read Night Shift. I don't remember the Boogeyman, but I don't know. I guess the fact that there's so much prior interest makes me think maybe maybe it'll stand up to a full like feature-length treatment. Yeah, uh, I hope so. You know, I, I'm i willing to be on board with anything that Scott Beck and Brian Woods do right now um, yeah. after A Quiet Place. So I, I'm definitely willing to give this the benefit of the doubt for right now and hope that it's it's going to be worth it in the long run. You know, uh, I think you and I have talked about this before on the, on the show. Uh, one of my favorite, I think, underrated movies is Secret Window. Yeah. It was based off of a, a Stephen King short story. And I was actually thinking the other day that we should probably uh, dig that up and review it one day on the show. I will put that on the calendar, buddy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this and, and everything that people are everything that people are, are adapting out of Stephen King stuff right now is turning out to be fairly solid. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that I think that's pretty cool. You're talking about it being fairly solid. When is the freaking Castle Rock thing going to premiere, man? I feel like we've been waiting on that thing for six years. Dude, I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm pretty sure it's this month, like this upcoming month of, of July. That sounds it's right. It starts. Yeah, uh, it, it starts July 25th of this year. So okay. that's a uh, yeah. So we're I mean we're basically a month out. I feel like I've been in the Bermuda Triangle with that thing. <laughs> like waiting, 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 yeah. waiting, waiting. Well, okay, last thing I've got here, Derek, um, speaking of July, Netflix gave, uh, I think, Bloody Disgusting, a list of recommended viewing for uh, for July 13th, which is a Friday the 13th. Ooh. And I'm going to throw those at you and let, let you tell our listeners if that's a worthy recommendation or not. 
And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the movies that I think and that Bloody Disgusting thinks uh, should be on the list in some way, but we're left off, okay? Okay. Um, and, and when we're all done, I'm going to tell the listeners what I think should be subbed out and subbed in. Okay, so this take just a minute. What was left off is The Boy, the Lauren okay. Cohen feature that you so wonderfully uh, soloed on for a recent episode. Thank you. Piranha, Train okay. to Busan, or okay. Busan, however you say it. Right. It follows okay. Gerald's game. Mm. I just want to note they left off Gerald's game. Mm. Under the Shadow, 1922, Creep 2, mm. Curse of Chucky, and The Invitation. Okay. Okay. So, so that's the left off list. Here's what they recommended in order. And I'm not sure if they prioritized it, but this is the order they gave. Number one, Veronica. Have you seen that? I, honest to God, until this very moment, had no idea that that was a movie that existed. Yeah, so it's went kind of under the radar, too. I, you know, I've got a buzz for, like, exorcism horror movies, mm-hmm. so I caught it just by that morbid curiosity. But it's a it's a young lady coming of age, and it's connected to a demon possession. You know, that's, like, standard in those movies where a young woman experiencing puberty is a metaphor for exorcism. And right. this is the most, like, direct expression of that that I've ever seen. Solid movie, but there's, like, four on the left-out list that I would say deserve to be on here rather than Veronica. But anyway. Yeah, is it a, is it a subtitled movie, Jeff? It may be. It's like a Spanish uh, country that it was filmed in, so, yeah, it may be subtitled. Okay. But it, it is based in some kind of real-life narrative, which I enjoy. So, again, I don't want to, like, crap on it too much here, but uh, it, it I would have had Gerald's game ahead of it, not to give too much away. So, Derek, number one was Veronica. Number two, Cult of Chucky. Oh, man. Figured you'd have that reaction. Uh, number three is one I've never heard of, Don't Kill It. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of that either. Number four is I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Okay. Uh, that's another Netflixer that like shows up on a lot of lists of best horror from 2017. Mm-hmm. Creep. Okay. A Dark Song, which is a movie I want to see. I thought it might be a review for us at some point. Okay. The Conjuring. Yeah. The Ritual. The Babadook. See our archives for uh, all three of those movies that I just recently named. Mm-hmm. Scream 2, also in our archives. The Devil's Candy, Tales of Halloween, and Before I Wake. Also available in the archives of Saw Something Scary. So, Derek, any immediate ones you're like, uh, Verizon, Netflix is crazy? Yeah. um, I mean, I don't think you can put Veronica. I mean, obviously I haven't seen it, but I don't think you can put that on and leave off. Yeah, you said there's about four that you would put on there. I would say the same from the... From the uh, the list that didn't make it. Uh, let's see. So you have Veronica, uh, Cult of Chucky. How those two were wanted to, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. I would probably also bump. I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Uh, and the Devil's Candy sounds like a Rob's Zombie reject movie, so I'm gonna avoid that at all costs. All right. So I, I'm with you by and large. Just take Cult of Chucky off. Take Curse yeah. of Chucky off. Uh, Gerald's Game should should be at the top of your list if you hadn't seen it. Uh, be- before I Wake, up there as well. Uh, I know you and I disagree on this uh, this movie, but 
I think we we do agree that for the casual horror movie fan, they're probably going to find it scary. It follows should probably be on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you in Takeoff. I'm the pretty thing that lives in the house. That movie did not impress me at all, and I thought it was a huge waste of time. Yeah, yeah. the the whole reason that I haven't even suggested that movie to you is because I thought that it was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deeply with you on that. Um, I would take out Scream 2 as much as I enjoyed that, and I would also take out Tales of Halloween. Um, you, you mentioned The Devil's Candy. You're right when you describe it as a as it sounds like a Rob Zombie project. It totally does. It's a better movie than that. It's just not a particularly scary movie. It, it's this family that is menaced by a mentally ill man who's after their daughter. And it's sort of a, a moody, it feels like an indie movie. It's totally worth watching. It just shouldn't be on the list when Train to Basson, Gerald's Game, and Creep 2 are left off. Yeah, and even It Follows. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I would take off Cult of Chucky and put in Gerald's Game. I'd take off I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House and put in Train to Basson. I would take off Scream 2 and put in It Follows. Um, I'd take off Tales of Halloween and put in Creep 2. And depending on what you want to do with Veronica and the Devil's Candy, I would consider watching 1922 and the invitation over uh, those two films. So, yeah, I was I was gonna say I think that you probably enjoyed the invitation more than I did, but it yeah. was still a decent enough movie uh, that I would I would definitely put it on this list over several of the movies that are on there. Uh, as a matter of fact, how is the Babadook at nine? Yeah, if these are rankings, they're really screwed up. Uh, maybe Netflix is just trying to puff Veronica, but The Conjuring, The Ritual, Babadook, Before I Wake, and Creep all belong at number one. 300 times before Veronica, you know? Yeah. I have to imagine that that's not the case. Like, that's not the case, that they didn't do those in any kind of order. I hope not. Yeah. All right, guys. So there's your list. If I'm assuming our listeners are well-stocked for July 13th, Friday the 13th, uh, watching material. But if not, and you hadn't seen some of those, uh, maybe they'll get you set up well to, to cover those. And, and for a lot of them, you can go back to our archives and hear our thoughts and then fire back at us on the Facebook group or wherever else to start a conversation about it. Absolutely. Okay, dude. Well, that's going to wrap me up. This has been this week's Horror Horror. You ready to pull the curtain on the taking of Deborah Logan? <laughs> yeah, man. Let's talk about this crazy man. All right. Do we want to go ahead and call Wahlberg in? Absolutely we do. Wahlberg! What? No! Spoiler alert. We've talked about it before, but just to, to reconnect on this issue, if, if my memory serves, you're out on found footage, right? Yeah, man. I, I'm not a fan of the found footage genre. Were you ever? I was. I was. Uh, I think that I got burned out on it during the paranormal activity craze. Um, not necessarily because of the paranormal activity movies themselves, but it seemed like that they reinvigorated the found footage genre, and it seemed like that every third horror movie that I was watching was a found footage by that point. I was like, for the love of God, this is too much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the, the perfect ex- description of the experience. So, Blair Witch put it on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paranormal Activity, the first one, is one of the best of the genre. I mean, it's one of the best of the horror genre, in my opinion, but certainly in found footage. Uh, the original Cloverfield did it pretty well, I thought. Yeah. Any others off the top of the top of your head that you're like, oh yeah, that was a really good found footage movie. 
No, not off the top of my head. Is there anything else that you're thinking of? Uh, there was a Spanish movie called Rec, uh, R-E-C, that ended up getting okay. an, an English remake, but you know the the original was subtitled. I thought it was pretty well done. Um, so anyway, there's four that are pretty good, but like you said, the, the genre got beaten into the ground. Um, before I ask my next question, just general thoughts on this one. Did you enjoy this movie, or did you, I don't know, hate this movie, or whatever the other version would be? Uh, I, I did hate it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I I, uh, I definitely did feel like I wasted my time on it. Uh, obviously, there were pros and cons to the movie. Uh, I thought that the first half of the movie was really good. Um, uh, of course, on a personal level, you know, I'm dealing with a family member who is suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. So it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's almost kind of a, a shot to the gut for me to, to you know, see those things happen. But I, I was very curious and interested to see where it went. I felt like it kind of got a little hokey when it went supernatural. Uh, but, dude, when it, you know, uh, we talked about this during Hereditary. When it goes uh, bat poop crazy, I, I mean, some of the stuff in this, I literally, I mean, I was, I finished this movie last night at, I think, like 3.30 in the morning. And was sitting up in my bed going, what the crap? Like, at least two or three different times. So, yeah. So, it, it I, I thought as far as like a, I, I, and I guess I don't want to jump ahead, but let's do it anyway. Uh, I felt like as far as a found footage movie went, uh, this was one of the better ones. I'd seen. Yeah. Okay. So we're, you know, we didn't talk about this off air, but you and I are tracking really closely with this movie. So we mentioned probably the, the gold standards of the genre there with those first four off the top of our head, uh, a movie like this, and I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off a few more that I think belong in the same tier, a movie like this, I'm really glad it got made. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you can tell this story without using found footage um, because found footage just lets you work with such a such a smaller budget. So this doesn't belong with the Blair Witch or Paranormal Activity, but this is why I still have like a soft spot in my heart for found footage despite it being ground into the dirt. Um, I'm thankful this movie got made. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it on the rewatch. I think I watched this back when it first came out um, and I hadn't been back to it since then. So like this was a pleasant experience, and it leaves me thankful that there's a forum that people without huge budgets can can use basically to to tell stories that don't require you know major theater backing. I'm just going to run through a list that fall in that same category for me. Tell me if you think any of them don't belong. Uh, Grave Encounters, okay. As Above, So Below, uh, our well covered Creep series, mm-hmm. um, The Last Exorcism. And Troll Hunter. Those oh, and another movie that we both love, Behind the Mask, uh, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. You know, it's yes. got a lot of found footage stuff in it. There's also an Australian movie um, called Lake Mungo. Have you seen that? Have we talked about Lake Mungo? No, no, I have no idea who that or what that is or anything. Okay, I I really like Lake Mungo too. It's from like 2008, so it's one of the early you know examples of the genre. It doesn't get super scary till just at the end, but I think the ending is is really powerful. Maybe we got to cover that sometime. There's one other that I've been asking you to to watch sometime, and I really hope we cover it. It's called the Poughkeepsie Tapes. Yeah. Um, so those movies, I think, are all to some degree or another uh, in in the tier of quality. Like, I'm glad I'm, I watched this movie. I'm glad this movie got made. And they all basically depend on you accepting that shaky cam and uh, low resolution and some of the stuff is is acceptable as a storytelling mechanism. So yeah, I'm. I guess all that to say, I'm, I'm with you all the way. Found footage has been done to death. Yeah. But I still look back on some of them and go, man, I'm glad that that, I'm glad it existed to give them a vehicle. Does that make sense? Absolutely. 
Um, what's your favorite found footage film? I mean, if you're going to throw Behind the Mask in as a found footage film, then it would be Behind the Mask. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that one. I'm probably going to yeah. go the original Paranormal Activity. Um, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna say like straight found footage, then then yeah, probably Paranormal Activity would be the one that I would I would rest on as well. Yeah, and that, it's weird not saying the Blair Witch. I think the Blair Witch really went off like a bomb. You know, it was such a cultural phenomenon, but Paranormal Activity coming later still probably did it just a little bit better. You know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, there's no parano- there's no paranormal activity without the Blair Witch Project, but I do feel like that paranormal activity did it better. Yeah, yeah. One of the creepiest scenes in my memory still to this day is I think I mentioned on here before is when you see Katie uh, standing over the bed looking down at Mika, and then the time signature just starts speeding by, letting you know she's been doing this for hours. Uh, yeah, that just really got into my bones. So okay, found footage. Thank you for giving us some some good stuff. Um, Anything you want to say on the acting in this movie beyond Jill Larson? Um, yeah, you know, uh, what's what's the girl's name? Dad Gummit, hang on. Um, the one playing the uh, cinematographer or the, the document documentarian? No, Anne Ramsey, who played uh, Deborah's daughter, Sarah. Yeah, I thought she she had a lot to uh, she had a lot to express in this movie and a lot to deal with, and I, I thought that she she did a really great job in this. That's a great point, Derek. I hadn't I hadn't thought about talking about her, but you're right. I just overlooked her. She does such a good job of playing a woman who loves her mom, but is dealing with years of like, mom was uncomfortable with my sexuality and expression of myself, but I still have obligations to her, and I still hold her in affection. And, and man, this problem is getting bigger than I can really handle. You're right. She she gave an able performance. And I don't think I've seen her in anything other than a league of their own. Yeah, she was. Uh, let's see. The the biggest thing that she was in was Planet of the Apes, the Tim Burton Planet oh, of the Apes. Oh yeah. Uh, if you've never seen that, uh, consider yourself lucky. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, uh, Andy Serkis, for redeeming that. Yeah, for sure. And then she was also, I guess, a uh, part of the Mad About You cast. So uh, okay. The uh, yeah, the old Mad About You sitcom with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. She. Uh, looks like she was part of that she's listed as being in Dexter but I cannot for the life of me remember her in that Huh. So anyway, kudos to you, ma'am. You, you you did a good job here. I wish you were doing more more work in the horror genre. I guess TV's yeah, her know, thing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. She seems like she stays busy, but she she mostly looks like she does TV stuff. Oh, Ellen Wolf. Yeah, Ellen Wolf was. Um, uh, she was in that last season where she was kind of Dexter's mentor. Oh yeah, you, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, dude. Holy cow! I would have never connected her with that role, but you're right. She was like the um the elegant no 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 no. i'm sorry i'm wrong on that ellen wolf was in season three who was it oh ellen wolf was the uh we've already hit spoilers so it doesn't matter ellen wolf was the attorney that jimmy smith winds up killing. okay okay man that's one of the best seasons in that whole run that's probably yeah. you know behind the it's, one it's two yeah it's two that's exactly right yeah john lithgow won uh jimmy smith's yeah. two yeah okay yeah. well cool good i'll one of these days, I'm going to do a Dexter rewatch, and I will look out for uh, Anne Ramsey. Yeah, you should only do seasons one through four. Don't let it don't go after subject, that. Yeah, don't subject yourself to the rest of it because it's. Well. 
fair enough. Well, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I um, just to just to expound a little bit more on her performance, I, I felt like that she just. I mean, there's there's uh, there's just a lot to her performance, and she she emotes a lot through her eyes. Mm-hmm. She she has to me she she has naturally sorrowful eyes anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but she really kind of exudes more than just sadness in this movie. Uh, a frustration, you know, frustration with the illness, frustration with her mother's disappointment in her. Um, you know, she's she's trying to make sense of everything. She's probably tired of trying to make sense of everything. Uh, you know, she, uh, you know, and, and I guess I kind of feel a kinship because she's struggling with the fact of, you know, she's she's pretty much lost lost her mother, um, but she hasn't lost her mother yet. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely, dude. I mean, I'm just adding that she's also fighting for her mom mm-hmm. in a way that's really noble and just... It's a pretty much impossible situation, which like you lived out for multiple years when you were living in Sparta, Tennessee. So, right, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's well done, and it looks like real life, which is what we what we need, right? Particularly in horror, you need people to make you think you're in the real world where the story's playing out, and she really does pull you in, right. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, besides Joe Larson, I, I really feel like that you give the second, um, you know, acting credit or whatever to, to Ann Ramsey because she, uh, yeah, man, she really knocks it out of the park. And, you know, they're only like 13 years apart from each other in real life, which I thought oh, was fun. Yeah. yeah, I did not know that. Um, I guess you're right now that I think about it, with you raising that point, this is kind of a two-woman play. You know, there's there's yeah. other people around, but you could almost, <laughs> I guess, if for some reason uh, the daughter wanted to carry a camera around, you could just have a, a two-person and cast at least to get to the hospital yeah for sure well you mentioned jill larson my understanding of her is that she's basically worked in um soap operas does that sound right to you yeah if i'm not mistaken she was in all my children yeah uh, she was really great in this i thought that she was uh she gave a strong performance particularly in the way that it was very physical um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess the word I normally hear about this is is brave uh, in the sense that, like, we see her nude and we see her body put on display in ways that aren't dignified. But I really felt like she went for it and, and sold hard um, this character's breakdown. And so kudos to her, man. I mean, if she, you know, we say this a lot on here. It's true for Ann Ramsey, too. But if they don't handle their business, this movie doesn't work. Right. And this movie works. I mean, like, I think right now the Rotten Tomato score is still at 84%. So a lot of that's just resting on her shoulder. She she makes you believe she went through not just a degenerative mental transformation, but, you know, a spiritual one as well. And uh, mm-hmm. kudos to her. But, again, kind of like Ann Ramsey, she drops into the genre, drops into feature film, and then checks back out. I'm not I'm not sure why. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that somebody with her talent – well, you know, I guess the thing about it is, is, like, soap opera actors get such a bad rap, you know, because they're so – soap operas are so over the top and so cheesy and things like that. But, man, I, you know, think, thinking about it, like, they go – through so much uh, material hmm. through the time that they're filming stuff because they're doing they're doing shows five days a week so you know they're they're probably running through pages upon pages upon pages of you know of dialogue and, and of, of these scripts and stuff and I, I sometimes I don't feel like that they they get the, the credit that they deserve uh, for what they for what they bring to the table and so you know, it it really shouldn't surprise you that somebody with her talent um, comes on the scene. But I do wish that she was involved more in stuff. Looking at her IMDb credits, uh, it looks like that she was also in uh, she was also in Shutter Island, which is uh, mm. another one of my favorite movies. Yeah, another yeah. great point about the reps thing. I guess soap operas are like being in a batting cage all the time. You just swing, 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 swing. Figure it out. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I imagine, I, I don't know this uh, for any kind of knowledge or anything. I, this is just a hypothesis on my part, but I imagine that it's a one or two take type thing. And then it's, you know, all right, cut, check the gate. We got to go to the next thing. So, you know, they, they are used to hitting their marks and, you know, and, and, and emoting the right way and stuff on the first couple of takes. When usually when you're on the movie set, you're given the opportunity to, you know, find the scene, find the character, find everything that you need in that. So you're given, you know, multiple takes on a lot of different things and, you know, and multiple camera angles and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel like that because there's so much that they have to shoot on, on soap opera sets that they, they don't have that opportunity. So that would probably be, she would probably be the perfect actress for a uh, piece like this where it's a found footage where you're going, okay, we really want to try to hit this on the first couple. And, you know, you get somebody like Jill who's a seasoned pro and she just knocks it out the park. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, this movie, I know you, I know you hate the one I'm about to reference, but this movie made me think of the visit in that. <laughs> yeah, it plays on. You know, this is something that Christy and I talked about when we reviewed the visit in your absence. Our society is really weird, and I mean that like in the context of history, in the way we deal with old people. I know a lot um, of families out there, maybe even our listeners, are not taking this route, but we kind of warehouse our old people and put them kind of out of sight, out of mind in mm-hmm. nursing facilities. Now, look, I get it. You, you know, you talked about uh, your family member, my paternal grandfather, uh, while my, my dad and his brothers were able to keep him at home and care for him. He went through something similar to what your grandma's going through. Um, I'm not saying that everybody who says, hey, we need a professional you know, facility to care for them is like copping out and throwing their family away. I'm not saying that at all. But we just, there's so many old people uh, kind of pushed off to the fringes of society through nursing homes and long-term care facilities. It just looks weird, really different from you know, his, historical and even contemporary, more traditional societies where the, you know, the, the people remain part of the family and in the home as they age. Mm-hmm. This is a particularly American horror story where, oh uh, yeah, old people are weird and it gets really uncomfortable when they forget stuff, particularly when they have a disease, it takes away their dignity. And, um, I know the, the awkwardness, I guess, is what scales up into actual horror in this movie. The uh, the the worst scene in that movie for me, and there's one I think we need to talk about later. But the worst scene in that movie is when the documentarian is kind of giving her, you know, hey, this is what degenerative brain disease looks like. There's these buildups of alkaloids and all that, but then they start going through pictures of Alzheimer's patients in uh, in the nursing home or or in some kind of medical facility, and you end up with that. There's a woman in her bed who's kind of dark eyed and got her mouth open and she looks like she's locked into a persistent state like that. And, uh, man, it's just chilling. Again, we've seen our loved ones go through it. It may be, it may be in my genetic code. Cancer takes your dignity. I know that. Uh, there are other diseases that do. But, man, I hate, I hate Alzheimer's for that very reason. It's just, yeah. it's such a vicious robbery that that disease perpetuates on people. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, you you said it perfectly right there, man. It's um, it's a really evil, evil disease, and uh, I will say this though, I, I felt like that this movie, um, obviously, what's the right way to put this? It it does the best that it can to shine a light on the disease, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I also felt that it was a clever way to get this demon into her body by 
you know, having having her have this degenerative brain disease and, you know, being like, well, the demon can only enter the body when the body is weak. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, you know, that's the reason why, uh, you know, not only with Deborah, but also with, what's her name, Kara, Kara? The little girl. The little girl, you know, um, who is, uh, who's a cancer patient. Yeah, so I went around and read certain reviews on this movie, just seeing what people were saying about it when it first came out. And the only one that I found that was super uh, critical was on Bloody Disgusting, actually. I can't remember the guy's name, but it was whoever wrote that piece up. And he really dismissed the uh, the vehicle of like mental degeneration and uh, the way it plays out in the body as a, uh, as an element that was profitable. He, you know, he says, this is just slapped on and simplistic. But man, I've watched a lot of these possession movies. This one's still really unique. And I thought that was a great element yeah. too. I, I mean, what you just said, this is a, this is a great new element and makes sense if you kind of factor in, okay, there's a supernatural world where dead pervert doctors may possess people. I thought it was a really novel introduction, uh, like, yeah. like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, you, you know, you can only see the same what, like, chaste 18-year-old mm-hmm. Catholic girl be possessed before you're like, okay, so we know where this is going. Yeah. And you really don't know where this movie is going until about the halfway point. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that for for a, uh, a genre that sometimes feels old hat and feels um, like we've done everything we can with this, you know, with, with this sect of horror, they really they turned out something that was interesting and and kept my attention. So and it makes a kind of sense, right? If this disease is removing the person from the body, it's right for another person to come in and make use of the body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, do, do we want to talk about that one particular scene now, or do we want to save that for later? <sighs> Holy smokes, dude. I mean, I, there's not much more that I have to say about this movie, uh, except for that scene. Uh, I mean... Holy crap. <laughs> so had you seen this movie prior to this watch? No, sir. Uh, okay. This movie, this movie wasn't even on my radar until you put it on the poll, and I started seeing people were voting for it, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's see what's going on here. And, uh, yeah, so I uh, – <laughs> we often joke about my movie ESP, uh, and I had that happen in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom a couple days ago where I called one of the plot points way early in the movie. And, uh, and – the, my friend who went with me, she was like, "How? How do you? How do you do this?" I was like, uh, "I don't know." But uh, I say I, I say that to build this up too. I had no flipping clue this was going to happen. And again, I told you I finished this movie at about three thirty this morning, and I mean, was just sitting up in my bed like, "What is going on? Why is this woman turning into Jafar Falad?" Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I'll see your Jafar from Aladdin reference and raise you. I think. Okay. It made me think of Danny DeVito's penguin in Batman Returns. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that was one of the set up in bed moments. Yeah. Yeah. When she's when she's gnawing on this poor little girl's head. Uh, I was just, I was, I was flummoxed. Well, I think that's the best word for it. Uh, so, dude, I'd watched this movie again uh, back when it first came out. I had totally forgotten about that, and and I was with what what you said earlier about, uh, you know, it kind of goes a little bonkers when we get into like the hard supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, 
you know, when you see Deborah Logan take the little girl out of the hospital the second time, um, and she kills like a security guard or something. From there, it gets a little wild. You get a lot of shaky cam. You get a lot of like cut in and out and whatnot. And just and narratively, it's doing the same thing that you're seeing the camera do. But that just caught me out of the blue. And I was, you know, that's one of those you say out loud, holy or what in the world uh, in a way yeah. that's like uncomfortably loud to people that you may not be wanting to wake up or disturb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just I, wild. I legitimately was waiting on her to regurgitate John Boyd like an anaconda. <laughs> I don't know what their special effects budget was. I'm assuming it was just all used on that scene. Um, but man, they nailed it. Like again, we've talked about the the genre and how it, it caters to people who don't have a ton of money. If you're gonna take one shot, they took a really great shot and I think they were very successful. Dude, the budget on this was reported reportedly one point five million dollars. Incredible. Yeah. What do you think? Like eight hundred and fifty thousand just on that shot? Uh yeah, it had to have been, right? Yeah, that that was well done, man. That I don't think I'll I don't think I'll forget it again. You know, four years yeah. have ironically robbed me of that memory that scene I, I think i'm done there and uh i don't know man i guess i would say for my mind in terms of like gripping reveals in a horror movie that's right up there with some of the best i've ever seen oh yeah yeah a hundred hundred percent on that man it was uh yeah it was it was insane uh, and like i said just i did not expect it and it yeah that may be one of the reasons why i couldn't sleep last night because i was afraid some snake one was going to come eat me <laughs> I thought the ending of the movie was a little overplayed, you know, with the little girl staring into the camera with a knowing smile. Uh, yeah. But that's cool by me. If you want to leave it lingering, you know, that was that was probably much more new in 2014, or at least it felt probably more sinister and unanticipated. Um, whatever. That, it's fine. Uh, I'll just... I guess I'll just put a bow on on the overall movie and say, you know, well done. I really think this is an 84% movie, like uh, on a 100% scale. Not the best thing I've ever seen. Not a, you know, not not a movie I'm probably going to buy. But man, it was a really good watch and a really good rewatch. And I'm I'm really happy that they gave me that experience. Yeah, uh, it probably feels old hat now. Yeah, to have the little sinister smile at the end of it. But I, I kudos to that little girl too, man. Yeah, I thought she did a wonderful job with what. She she was given and uh you know i even though it was old hat i kind of feel like that she nailed that last that last scene really well sure so well i, I noticed the director went on to do the most recent insidious movie which uh-huh. um, i don't think either one of us was just over the moon about but i'm glad for him you know he he kind of demonstrated his worth with a, a small budget and got handed the keys to a, a bigger project and so good for him you know he's it's helped his career at least in terms of what he's getting to work with and uh, i think it's deserved based on this first one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you go from the taking of Deborah Logan, uh, which is what I what I said had a estimated one point five million dollar budget, to Insidious: The Last Key, which has an estimated ten million dollar budget. So it's a pretty it's a pretty nifty little jump. Absolutely, and that's it makes sense. Like the guy who did well with a little gets put in charge with you know a project of a lot. So more power to him. I'm I'm hoping he keeps making films. Yeah, he's the opposite M Night Shyamalan. Oh, M Night's back, baby. Maybe don't uh, don't besmirch him either. So Adam Robitel, right, is the guy's name? Yeah, director? Adam Robitussin. <laughs> well done, Mr. Robitussin, on the taking of Deborah Logan. Uh, yeah. I think he probably hit a double with Insidious, but Deborah Logan was a stand-up home run, I think, for what he was having to work with. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, especially when... 
that I, you know, I hate to keep going back to numbers, but one point five million dollars for this movie, man, that's that's insane to me. That's chicken scratch. Because yeah, because I mean, you're you're gonna have to pay these, you know, you're gonna have to pay your actors, which I'm I'm assuming that no one made over fifty thousand dollars for this movie. Uh, but then you know, you've also got everything that goes on with a movie, uh, uh, and then especially the effects at the end of it. So yeah, kudos, kudos all around. Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. I, when this movie won our vote, I went to, what I always do is I try to start researching, you know, to see what's going on. And I, I looked at the IMDb page and it, uh, the IMDb rating is a six out of 10. And then the, in the trivia, it says not screened for critics. And so immediately when I see six out of 10 and not screened for critics, I'm like, Oh crap, this movie's going to be horrible. (laughs) Yeah. That's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, any movie, well, the majority of the movies that I've ever said, yeah, that I've ever read, not screen critics or not screening and natural critics are usually pretty terrible. And that's the reason why they're not screened for critics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I, I had low expectations going into this thing, uh, but for the, for the amount of money that they had to, to uh, spend on it and for the story and everything, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. So, so well done listeners of the podcast and uh, interactors on social media. I'm glad that you guys picked this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another positive benefit of that Facebook group is that you get a little bit more activity on those polls and stuff we run. So very yeah. thankful to those people as well. Uh, Derek, scale of one to 10, what do you give this one? Uh, I'm going to go seven and a half. Uh, I, yeah, I, again, pleasantly surprised about this movie, uh, was really, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I mean, we'll get to, we'll get to the other, the other, uh, half of the question here in a second, but, uh, was pleasantly surprised at how, uh, how much this thing kept my attention, uh, especially found footage because I'm, I'm not a found footage guy and yeah, I was just pleasantly surprised all the way around. So seven and a half on my end. We've tracked right alongside each other a lot on this movie without discussing it previously. And I'm, I'm right there with you. It's a, it's like a tier two horror movie and a, and a, a really strong presentation. It's the kind that I actually would like to, you know, pitch to someone who doesn't care for horror movies because they think they've got them all figured out and just say, well, okay, maybe, but maybe look at this one too. And, and ask them what their thoughts are when they're done watching it. Cause I think it, it kind of defies some expectations. It's very much a, a family drama until it's not. And then it, it gets really crazy. So yeah, seven point five sounds sounds perfect. Yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a movie that if you're if you're looking for late night squelch, you know what? Let me just say, let, let's just go ahead and do this. Jeff, did we see something scary? Oh, without reservation, yes. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. This is this is the kind of movie where if you're wanting to uh, sit down on the couch on a Friday or Saturday night and just get the ever loving crap scared out of you, or maybe not the ever loving crap, but just in certain ele- certain moments of this movie where you're like, well, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, this is the movie for you. And uh, I, I guess one last thing I want to talk about now that I'm thinking about it is, do we know why she was becoming a snake? So my my understanding of what's going on with that movie, and listeners, feel free to poke holes in this or push back. I think what's happening is she realized that pervert doctor who was like doing the satanic ritual had targeted uh, her daughter. Uh, what's the name of the character Anne Ramsey plays? Uh, Sarah. So I think what happened is that pervert pervert doctor had targeted Sarah to be the the final girl for his, you know, twisted ritual. And Deborah Morgan maybe with help from that neighbor guy who's always around 
went and killed him and yes. you know, like buried him. But because of his connection to the, I don't know, the dark side of the supernatural world, he kind of lingered around her. And when he saw that the, the person who had taken his mortal life was beset by this degenerative disease, he, you know, his connection was her, with her was strong enough that he could start taking her over. And that the, um, the spell he was performing was like, I don't know, I can't, they say something about it. Like it was connected to a snake god or a snake demon. And, okay. you know, I guess that spirit had sort of transformed him as well. And so as she's being taken over by his personality, there's, uh, it's like she spits venom at some point and, you know, she starts becoming snake-like as like the recipient of the snake demon who's being challenged by the ghost of, I mean, being channeled by the ghost of that pervert doctor. Hey, one last thing. Did this feel, and maybe just because it's it's so recent in my head, but did this feel sort of hereditary-ish to you? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Like a, it's like the great grandfather, grandfather of hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point yeah, there. I, I agree. So if yeah, so if you if you enjoyed hereditary, if you enjoy found footage, um, then you'll enjoy this movie. Well, and I also want to say to anyone listening, if you've gotten here and you've not seen the movie and you're thinking about whether or not you want to, um, my convolute twisted explanation right there plays out much more enjoyably watching the movie than it does when me with me sitting here trying to like walk through the logic of it yeah and not only that but if you get scared uh put on the soundtrack to aladdin mm. and you'll feel like that it syncs up pretty pretty carefully <laughs> this is like uh, the wizard of oz and pink floyd is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah exactly you get it i get it well speaking of getting it Derek, do we, you know we've we've said we've seen something scary um does this movie, does it do anything to reinvigorate your interest in the genre or you just see this as an artifact of when it, you know, this was back before it was beaten to death and I had to, had to leave that genre behind. Uh, yeah, man, I'm still pretty checked out on found footage movies. If, uh, if I see something with the brain trust of this movie and it, you know, uh, from Adam Robitussin or, um, or Jill Larson or Ann Ramsey, then it's going to, it's going to, I'll be more apt to watch it to watch anything that these people do now but as far as like a found footage stuff goes man i'm still i honest to god i think what really killed found footage for me was the visit you you've already talked about that movie and uh man that i i despise that movie with every fiber of my being and uh and so yeah i yeah <laughs> long story short i'm still checked out even uh even a snake light lady trying to eat a kid with cancer can't really pull me back on that all right fair enough well, i'm gonna put a challenge out we've got the best podcast listeners in the world world. I'm going to put a challenge out to them. It's going to be very specific. Uh, if you know of a non-major release movie like The Taking of Deborah Logan that has come out since, let's say, 2017, so 2017 or 2018, that is in the found footage genre, and you think Derek should reconsider the genre because of this specific movie, uh, throw that at us on social media. I don't know that we'll review it, but I'm sure we'll take a look at it and, 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 and see what you've got. So, yeah, if you know of one that that's sort of a more recent taking of Deborah Logan, throw that at us. We'd be we'd be curious to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Would love that. All right, Derek. So bringing this one to a close, where can they find you outside of the world of Saw Something Scary? Uh, man, I'm at Derek Zoo everywhere, and I do mean everywhere. <laughs> Likewise, not quite everywhere, but most major platforms, you can find me at Right Jeff. Uh, guys, we we do appreciate all of those who, all of those of you who have joined in on the Facebook group. We hope you'll uh, interact there. We also hope you'll tell a friend about that. 
we would also appreciate those five-star iTunes reviews. They do so many important things for us. They, they give us feedback about what you like or don't like about the show so that we can adjust what we're doing to uh, fine-tune Sauce on the Scary. But it also puts us in, in front of other people through the iTunes algorithm and maybe gives us a chance to find new listeners who would enjoy the show as well. So if you're able and willing next time you sit down at a keyboard uh, to, to pull up iTunes and give us a review, uh, we would really appreciate that. We covet the five-star reviews, but we'll take whatever you feel you can honestly offer. And uh, thanks in advance for doing so. Yeah, man, 100%. We, uh, we always enjoy uh, any kind of interaction with you guys, and, and uh, we definitely appreciate those those reviews, uh, five stars, or whatever you feel that we deserve. So thank you for that. Yeah. All right, Derek. So we are looking at something special coming up um, to bring to our listeners, and that I guess will control our schedule um, going forward on what our next episode will be. But we're also kind of aware that Unsane is going to be uh, reviewed by us pretty soon. Derek found out that, hey, this thing has hit Redbox, so we ought to cover it. So if, you're, if you want to get a jump on what we're doing, um, yeah, look at Unsane and expect a review pretty soon coming from that. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, Jeff, you want to run through just the month of July and let our, our listeners know what we're, what we're planning on going from there? Yeah, well, while I'm doing that, why don't you give them a description of the, the thing uh, that's in the works that we talked about today, and I'll pull up our calendar for the for the rest. Yeah, so hey, um, we are going to be talking to a friend of the show and uh, a guy that I uh, collaborate with frequently, Mike Dubslecki. Uh, Mike D, for those of you who have listened to the podcast from the very beginning, I believe he and I covered Evil Dead 2 uh, over a year ago. And uh, Mike, and, Mike just wrote and directed uh, Mike just wrote and directed a short film called Guilt Girl, which will be premiering uh, July the 11th at the uh, Smyrna Movie Cinema, which that may not be the right, let me let me make sure. Uh, Malco Smyrna Cinema is the name of the place that will be Smyrna, Tennessee on Wednesday, July the 11th at 7pm. Uh, tickets are on sale right now at guiltgirl.bandcamp.com and they will be available until July the 10th. Uh, so Mike's going to come on the show next week and we're going to talk to him about the short. Uh, I have a little small cameo in it, so uh, obviously it's uh, a near and dear project to my heart, and we are, uh, I'm very excited about it. I've seen some raw footage of it. I, I think it looks really great. Uh, we're going to talk to Mike D uh, about the movie. We may also possibly try to review the movie next week, so that's the reason why we're kind of up in the air about Unsane, whether it'll be next week or the week prior, or excuse me, the week after. Uh, but anyway, really excited to get to talk to Mike D next week about this movie, and if you're in the Tennessee area and you can make it out to the Malco Smyrna Cinema in Smyrna, Tennessee on July the 11th at 7 p.m., uh, not only will they be premiering Guilt Girl, but there's a couple other short movies that are going to be there as well. So it's going to be a great night. Uh, some proceeds uh, will be donated to Rain, uh, which is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. So uh, even if you can't be there and you just want to support me or you want to support horror movies or independent films, or even you just want to support the, the Randall organization, uh, go to guiltgirl.bandcamp.com and purchase a ticket, and that'll help out. Yeah, all right. Guiltgirl.bandcamp.com, yes, is there said? Okay, that's good too. Um, so, and, oh, go ahead. Uh, just, yeah, just one last thing, for those of you that are, are, that are in Tennessee and might be interested in going to this, I even hate to say this out loud, but there is a small possibility that I will be there. Ooh. 
So if you're looking to see me uh, and you can't make it out to Branson, this might be your best shot to see me until January. Just going to throw that out there. If that if that entices you or stirs the pot a little bit more. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, guys, get out there and support that work either, you know, through Bandcamp or coming in person. Uh, what we got coming up in the pike, a lot of this we drew from other nominations and votes on the polls we've been running. Um, we're going to take a look at in upcoming weeks, Unsane, as Derek's already mentioned, we're going to fit in the um, searching sometime in August. But between now and then, we've got queued up the Stranger sequel, Pray at Night. We've got um, Cloverfield, which was a request from one of our most uh, committed fans. We've got Rosemary's Baby and the Frighteners all kind of in the hopper for the next several weeks. So that, now, that's what you got to look actually, for. She actually wanted us to do the entire uh, trilogy. Okay. Well, we love her um, and are very thankful for her fandom. And so, yeah, I'm open to doing the trilogy. That's cool by me. Okay. So right. we will uh, we'll throw that in there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Does that – we need you to get back at us, Allison. Are you uh, – you also wanting that spacey Cloverfield movie that Netflix just released a while back? Cool if you are. Just oh, let us know. Man, I hope not. <laughs> All right, Derek Zoo. I am so uh, I'm so worried about the strangers pray at night. Yeah, I know that's near and dear to your heart. The original, I get it, man. Uh, I'm not quite where you're at in terms of loving that movie, but I really like it a lot. It's really great. And yeah, sequels just have the potential to ruin kind of what you liked about the first. So, yeah, <laughs> trepidation looking abounds. At you looking at you, George Hill. Don't <laughs> give in to temptation. Fat stacks of green and gold temptation. That's a temptation I think I would be tempted to give into. Yeah, I would write get out too if <laughs> <laughs> they could pay me. They could pay me ten thousand dollars. I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so do better than we would do, Jordan. We're, we're trusting you. Yes. yes. Well, Derek Zoo, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, man. Hey, this has been a fun episode, Jeff. Uh, enjoyed. I really, really didn't expect to be as impressed with this movie as I was. So, uh, again, thank you guys for voting for it. Uh, we will have more polls in the future, especially now that our I feel like that our online audience is growing. We'll uh, we'll do more. And uh, looking forward to talking to Mike D next week and Unsane and all sorts of good stuff from there. So, for Jeff Wright, this is Eric Zoo reminding you to stay away from clouds and sewers, blind men with turkey pasters, and white people with teacups. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye, man.